Good afternoon. Welcome to the November 9th Major Mondays webinar series. Uh, we're discussing dis disclosure tools in New York today. So as usual, this is a live question and answer session. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, just type them in and we'll get to them at the end. So when does discovery begin and end in New York? Uh, so unlike in New Jersey, which we talked about last month, uh, there are no automatically served discovery tools. We had the uniform personal injury interrogatories in New Jersey. Uh, we don't have that here. So um, civil practice law and rules 3101, CPLR is what we're gonna be calling it the rest of this webinar, uh, has continuing disclosure requirements. Uh, otherwise, discovery is largely upon the parties to uh, initiate and demand. Um, there's not really a discovery end date. There is a deadline imposed for filing a note of issue uh, after what's called a request for judicial intervention is filed. And we have our preliminary conferences and compliance conferences uh, to ensure parties are adhering to discovery. Uh, so once we get through those conferences, the court will set a due date by which the plaintiff uh, says, hey, I've gotten my discovery done or the following items remain, but I'm certifying I'm ready for trial. <clears throat> So I just mentioned the, the continuing disclosure requirements under CPLR 3101. Uh, so what are those exactly? Uh, full disclosure of all matter, material, and necessary in the prosecution or defense of an action by parties. Uh, this also, this rule 3101 also has the uh, rules for privilege and attorney work product. Uh, there's an interesting little overlap with workers' comp, which we'll get to on the very last slide. Um, parties must identify their experts, subject matter, substance of facts and opinions on which the expert is expected to testify. Uh, and if the expert is retained with insufficient time to give that kind of notice before trial, uh, they're not automatically precluded. Uh, the court has uh, latitude to do what may be just upon the motion of any party. So uh, even a failure to provide that expert disclosure with insufficient time before trial isn't necessarily fatal to producing your expert. So just continuing with 3101, um, attorney work product, quote unquote, shall not be obtainable. Um, an objection of privilege, which is different than attorney work product, uh, must be asserted. This applies to materials prepared in anticipation of litigation. Uh, you can still obtain privileged materials. It's a qualified privilege. Uh, upon showing of substantial need for the materials, an undue hardship in obtaining their uh, equivalent. Uh, and the court orders discovery of the materials if that burden is met, uh, but they must still protect against disclosure of attorney theories, findings, and conclusions. So to the extent any of that is in uh, the privileged materials, uh, the court cannot compel disclosure of those. So let's talk about specific discovery devices under 3102. Uh, so as we mentioned earlier, court involvement is not really required here. Uh, in fact, you're not even going to get a hearing date uh, until the parties file a request for judicial intervention. That's the notice to the court that, hey, there's something disputed here. Please put this on the calendar. Uh, the discovery devices include depositions upon oral questions. Those are your typical standard civil litigation depths uh, or written questions for uh, depositions outside of New York. Uh, interrogatories, uh, demand for addresses, discovery and inspection of documents or property. That's your standard notice to produce. Uh, physical and mental examinations of persons, uh, requests for admissions, that's going to be a notice to admit, that's one of my personal favorites, uh, and uh, 3102C permits a pre-action uh, disclosure after a court order. So sometimes 
uh, particularly in the workers' comp context, you'll see what appears to be uh, an action filed against the employer, which we all know is uh, actually not permissible, workers' complex exclusivity, but it's not actually a suit against the employer. Uh, it's a petition for pre-suit uh, trying to compel the employer to produce information regarding potentially liable third parties. So that's a context where we might see that come up in the uh, comp world. The Bill of Particulars, a little unique animal to New York. Uh, so this is strange because it's not really typically what you would call discovery. Uh, the way it's defined and the way it sort of plays out in the case here, it amplifies a pleading by detailing the claim or defense being particularized. So if you remember back to the basics of civil litigation in New York, that webinar that we did, uh, we talked about how this is a, a notice pleading state, not a fact pleading state. You just kind of got to get your allegations out there and you don't need to really allege specific facts. Well, uh, as soon as you do that and you stay hyper generalized, you're going to get hit with this uh, bill of particulars. Uh, as a practical matter, for reasons we'll discuss in a few moments, uh, you're going to see these almost every time in the personal injury world context. Um, <clears throat> so the response to the Bill of particulars, particulars is supposed to clarify unusual conclusory or general allegations within a pleading, i.e. Uh, so-and-so was negligent on such and such date. Well, that doesn't really tell us much. Uh, it's designed at limiting the proofs and preventing surprise at trial. Uh, and it's almost always demanded in personal injury actions due to the fact-specific nature of those cases. So... There's a couple different CPLR provisions on the Bill of Particulars. Uh, 3043 uh, contains specific particulars to demand in personal injury actions. We just mentioned this. Uh, Bill of Particulars are less frequent in other contexts. Uh, you can serve a supplemental Bill of Particulars for continuing special damages. So those are uh, the medicals and lost earnings and those types of things that you're racking up over the course of litigation. You can do that without leave up to 30 days before trial. <clears throat> Bill of particulars are less common in other cases, uh, but they're useful in any action in which a pleading has conclusory allegations without explanation, uh, and it must be verified if the pleading is verified. Again, it's just amplifying the pleading here, uh, and a response is due within 20 days, uh, or within 30 days, rather. Now, what's interesting is that uh, the CPLR specifies uh, what can be demanded in these personal injury bills of particulars, and you'll see a lot of objections to questions that sort of veer outside that standard list of uh, things that can be demanded. Deposition upon oral examination, CPLR 3107. Uh, again, this is your classic civil litigation DEP. Uh, it's one of the most important disclosure devices we have. Uh, this is where basic pretrial written discovery has occurred. You got a pretty good idea of where the case is at, uh, what your adversary's arguments are gonna be, this is your chance to produce that written discovery in front of a, a sweaty, nervous plaintiff uh, and try and pin them down based on the written responses that their uh, negligent and lazy attorney may have provided just to get it off their desk. Uh, this is your chance to poke every possible hole in their story. Uh, this is your chance to blow the whole case up and to maybe get that settlement uh, demand that you're looking for. So uh, these are upon 20 days notice, but any party can serve their own notice of deposition of any other party uh, upon 10 days notice to occur at the same time and place. So notice a deposition shows up, the other party can demand to depose the other party uh, with at least 10 days notice, and you can do it at the same time and place. Uh, so how does this end up working out? 
Well, normally all of these steps just happen in one day, in one location, in a marathon of uh, six to eight hours of, of deposing people. Uh, it's best to confer with your adversary before serving the notice for that matter, uh, for that very reason. Uh, I mean, it's just as a matter of course, going to be a lot more convenient to plan these things out ahead of time than to just keep swapping notices of depths and having people object to them. Deposition upon written questions, a little less common. Uh, this can be done when examining a party, uh, when the examining party and the deponent stipulate to it. Uh, it's most commonly used for testimony being taken out of state. Uh, so I do wanna get into uh, something that I mentioned during the New Jersey Disclosure Devices webinar, but CPLR 3108 mentions a commission or letters rogatory where necessary or convenient for taking of a deposition outside the state of New York. Uh, so I wanna talk for a moment about the role of the Uniform Interstate Depositions and Discovery Act. Uh, this has been adopted by 31 states and it substantially changes this calculus. Uh, it's actually codified in CPLR uh, 3119. So what is UITA? Well, this is a beautiful thing for terms of civil litigation. So prior to UITA, uh, discovery outside the state required commission, as we just saw, or letters rogatory from the New York court. Uh, so the way that this worked out is you would have to go to the court and say, hey, I'm trying to get this from somebody outside of the state. So this is your, your trial court, right? The Supreme Court. Uh, they're going to issue a commission or letters rogatory. That then has to go to the state that the person you're trying to get the information from uh, and a court over there has to try and compel the discovery from that party. Well, if you're involving a foreign court, guess what? You're gonna have to involve, involve foreign counsel because if you're not barred in that jurisdiction, you can't just wander into that court and wave your letters rogatory in the air and say, give me a subpoena. Uh, you're not an officer of the court in that state. So this requires retaining local counsel nine times out of 10, and then the costs go through the roof. Um, so what the uh, what UITA does for us, it's a beautiful thing. You can now provide the subpoena directly to the court in the foreign jurisdiction to domesticate. So you're gonna provide it to the clerk of the court in the county, in the state where you're trying to uh, get the information. Uh, and then they're going to domesticate the subpoena for service within that state. Um, just note that the subpoena still has to comply with that jurisdiction's discovery laws. Uh, in New York and New Jersey, uh, the subpoenas all have pretty standard uh, language, you know, the we command you and, and all that other stuff. Uh, that all needs to be state compliant to the state it's being served in. Uh, and it's still subject to challenge in that jurisdiction. So uh, they, you know, your adversary can challenge the admissibility of that subpoena. But again, it's gonna have to be done by local counsel over there. But this cuts out the middleman. Uh, and it's a really beautiful thing in terms of when you're dealing with corporations that may be uh, headquartered outside the state or you're going after a particular branch, surveillance video from an ATM maybe. Uh, this is this is a wonderful little tool that's uh, only really come about uh, pretty recently. So continuing on, uh, CPLR 3120, the notice for discovery and inspection. This is your standard document demand. Uh, it's served on a party. Uh, again, if it's being served on a non-party, that's gonna be called a uh, subpoena ducis tecum. Uh, but this seeks produc production of documents, electronic data, and other tangible evidence. Uh, the responses are due within 20 days. Uh, and where you will see these pop up in civil litigation, uh, a more often than not, they're gonna be lumped together with a bunch of other demands in a 15 page document that's just labeled combined demands. Uh, and included will be 
a demand pursuant to the mandatory insurer reporting law, prior subsequent accidents, uh, medical info, total damages, demand for total damages, uh, e-discovery preservations, social media authorizations and preservations, increasingly common in today's uh, world. Uh, and you'll see those just lumped together under something called combined demands. Uh, again, a subpoena is going to be used to produce these kind of records from a non-party. Demand for answers to interrogatories. So let's talk about why these are not common at all in personal injury cases in New York. Uh, they're pretty standard in New Jersey. Uh, the interrogatories are gonna go back and forth. In fact, as we discussed, they're mandatory. Uh, it's the mandatory uniform personal injury interrogatories. Well, New York's the inverse. Uh, why do these almost never pop up? If you remember, we have our bill of particulars. So the response time here is, uh, is the response must be within 20 days. Uh, per CPLR 3130, uh, a party cannot propound a demand for answers to interrogatories and a demand for a uh, bill of particulars unless it's a matrimonial action. So we talked about why bill of particulars are more common in the personal injury context, uh, and that's gonna lose the right to serve uh, the interrogatories. In personal injury cases, property damage, wrongful death based on negligence, uh, a party can't serve interrogatories and also conduct depositions, another reason why these are uncommon. Uh, it makes the interrogatories very uncommon in New York personal injury cases. Um, <clears throat> CPLR 3017, demand for total damages. Uh, again, in personal injury or wrongful death cases is where this is gonna apply. Uh, the complaint can only contain a general prayer for relief. Uh, you're not gonna put in your complaint, I demand a million dollars. Uh, in Supreme Court, you just have to state that the damages exceed the jurisdictional limits of all lower courts. In other words, I don't belong in small claims court with my claim. Uh, in those cases where you don't, uh, where you just have your general prayer for relief, uh, the other party can uh, serve a request for a supplemental demand for the total damages to which the pleader claims to be entitled. And the response is due within 15 days of the request. And the last one I'm going to talk about before we get to our little workers' comp deviation, the notice to admit, one of my favorites. So 20 days from uh, answer or service of the summons and at least 20 days before trial, you can serve a written request for admissions on the other party. Uh, this is used for facts, not legal conclusions, uh, and it can be used to authenticate documents, which is a beautiful thing. When I say used for facts and not legal conclusions, it's going to be something to the effect that that on such and such date, uh, at such and such time, accident occurred. Not that on such and such date, this guy was negligent. Uh, that's a legal conclusion. That one's gonna get denied and it's gonna get kicked out every time. Uh, they're deemed admitted if not responded to or not objected to, uh, though there is a penalty for unreasonable denials. Uh, this can be used in a pending action only, meaning that the answers, the admissions are going to apply only to that case, uh, and the court can allow the party to amend or withdraw those responses uh, as they may deem fit. But uh, this whole thing where they're deemed admitted if not responded to within 20 days, well, this is a great way to pin down uh, an adversary that's not necessarily on top of their stuff. So this is a pretty interesting workers' comp sidebar, at least I think so, and this is our last slide of the day. Uh, so we talked all earlier about CPLR 3101I. Uh, that has the recordings of parties uh, any videotapes, audio recordings, things of that nature of a party are required disclosure. Uh, well, guess what? Section 118 of the workers' comp law, the board is not bound by the rules of evidence or procedure. 
authority to govern disclosure is exclusively delegated to the board. Uh, the third department is all over this and has said this a bunch of times. CPLR 3101I got rid of the practice of withholding surveillance tapes until after a plaintiff had been deposed. Even in civil cases, you used to at least have the advantage of getting your covert surveillance and maybe it's really useful and then you could depose the person and then you would turn it over and you'd get the benefit of that surveillance and any inconsistencies that arise from it. Well, CPLR 3101I blew that whole thing up. Uh, so the surveillance was previously considered privileged as a material prepared in anticipation of litigation. Um, now there is no showing of substantial need or undue hardship required. Uh, you're even required to disclose materials you're not even intending to use at trial. Uh, so this is just a, a, you know, a tape that you obtained, useless surveillance, uh, plaintiff laying in bed all day and you catch it through the window. Got to turn that over. Um, so the third department determines in a case uh, called DeMarco, that 3101 is not binding on the board. Uh, why is this a beautiful thing for employers and carriers? Well, there's another case, Rymers, uh, that says the carrier can continue, even though you can't do this in civil cases anymore, to withhold surveillance to maximize the effect of cross-examination. So how does this work? We get really useful surveillance, we raise fraud, we disclose the existence of the video, we don't have to turn that over until after the claimant testifies, which is in direct contravention of what happens in a civil court. Uh, investigative reports, you can also make a privilege argument, uh, and the existence of that surveillance must only be disclosed if you're planning on using it. In other words, you don't have to tip your hand to the claimant that, hey, filming you is something we're thinking of doing. Uh, so now we'll just get to the questions portion, see if anyone has any inquiries. And I think we're all good. So I uh, hope you'll join us next month, December 14th. We're gonna do uh, a fun wrap up of uh, New York and New Jersey civil litigation, talk about some of the recent cases that came out and the impact on uh, what we're doing, do a whole little summary. So uh, I hope you'll join us next month, December 14th, 3 p.m.